Uh, we're in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5 today. We'll go from verse uh, 17 to chapter 6, verse 2. So uh, as is our practice, we love to have you read along with us. Uh, so if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, we have plenty of Bibles to hand out to you. Just put your hand up and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. Don't be shy. Just put your hand uh, up in the air and the Bibles will uh, appear from the back. While that's happening, again, we're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you don't know where that is, you can look in the table of contents or if the person next to you seems to have it figured out, just ask them where it is. Uh, don't let um, embarrassment get the best of you. No, we've all, some of us still don't know where most of the books are in the Bible. Uh, so don't be shy or embarrassed about that. Uh, today's Communion Sunday. We'll uh, share communion after a brief time in the Word together. Let's pray, and we'll get into the Word together. Father, uh, here we are. Here we are, Lord. Hopefully, not just filling seats, but hungry and expectant. Lord, we know that we have uh, we've not arrived yet personally. We know that we've not arrived yet spiritually, that we are a work in progress. And Lord, we pray that through... Uh, your word today, you would chisel off another piece of my sin. That you chisel off another piece of me that doesn't look like you. And that you begin to build uh, in me the life of Christ, little by little, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, Lord. That, that you would continue to conform me to the image of your beautiful Son. So that we can shine like lights in this dark age. Lord, we need you, we love your word, we need your word, we're desperate and hungry. Lord, we know that man cannot live by bread alone, but Lord, we live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So Lord, we're open, we're ready, speak to us uh, in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, I'll, and I'll, as we get into 1 Timothy 5, uh, we haven't been in 1 Timothy in a few weeks. So just a, a preface to say, uh, this is a letter that we're reading, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to his young ministry protege named Timothy. Uh, Timothy was sort of a timid guy. We're going to find out today he was uh, also a sickly guy. And he was dealing with trying to get this church that he's in, the church in Ephesus, trying to help it to return to health. And so Paul is giving him instructions and giving us instructions for how to have a healthy church. And what are some of the habits, what are some of the practices of healthy churches? Uh, How do you fix a church that's broken? And so some of the things we're reading are are more exciting or, or more challenging or more personal. And other things I would call housekeeping. And today, uh, it's housekeeping day. And, and families have that. We just have to get around and say, okay, there's some housekeeping issues. And it's not the most fun thing that we could have. But here's the thing, and some of you have to know this, some of you already know this, that we've made a commitment here at Calvary Chapel to go through the entire Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And, and that's important to me because I don't feel the right to determine what information is important for you. Because the Bible says we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it's not my job to determine which words are good for you today and which words aren't and which words you need to hear and which words you don't have to worry about. 
So we go through the whole thing. So if you, didn't like, if you don't like what we're talking about today, come back next week. We'll be on the next section. But I just trust, you know, it's not my job to decide. It's not my job to manipulate information. Uh, when people have all the information, it sets them free. And to control information is to control people. So this is why we go through the whole counsel of God's word. And uh, so that's just who we are. That's what we do. And, and so we're going to get into 1 Timothy 5. Verse 17 begins, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. It's a challenge for me to preach on this, of course, from where I sit. Um, Paul says, Hey, uh, there's a way uh, that healthy churches recognize the value of good leadership. Healthy churches recognize the value of good leadership. And the way that they do that, and all of the commentators agree, is through uh, fair, and actually he says double honor, meaning compensation, uh, a good compensation. Now there are some churches that feel like it's their duty to make sure the pastor understands suffering. And so we're going to give him just barely the minimum to get by, uh, you know, like, pay, like the salary that he receives is almost ridiculously low. And they feel that that's, some people feel that pastors and elders shouldn't be paid at all, that that's, they should, you know, work and support themselves. But here we see the, the Bible says is that when, you know, when you have an elder, especially, look what he says, especially who? Those that labor in the word or preaching and teaching. That's really valuable, and that work is no different than any other labor, and the, the word labor here means to toil to exhaustion. And it's no different than someone who's an accountant or a plumber or a teacher or a doctor. Laboring in spiritual things is still labor, and trust me, it's labor. When I first started in ministry, I was working with horses full-time and teaching Bible study and and as the church began to grow, it was like having two full-time jobs. When you're an elder in the church, you've got two families. You've got your own family, and then you've got the church family. And as I was trying to balance both of, both of these, these things in my life, which I would happily do, the problem was it affects my family's life. And so I can't, couldn't continue doing both of those things, and so the church graciously offered to uh, provide compensation for me so I could give myself totally entirely uh, to laboring and toiling in the word, which I love to do. And it's important, it's valuable uh, to the church. So, and he's, we've been talking about widows. We thought chapter 5 was about honoring widows. And so relative to the widows, if the widows are worthy of honor or worthy of being uh, supported, then how much more than the elders who are laboring in the word and in doctrine. And this is what we need. There are some elders who are, are called to administrative things. There are some elders that are called to other things, and some of the elders in the church are called to laboring in the Word, and that's really important. That's really, because that's where uh, the source of all the truth comes from, through the Word and through preaching and teaching. Well, how do we know this is true? Is this just something that Paul made up? He says, look, the Scripture says, so this isn't Paul's idea, he says the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. And, and this is pretty fascinating, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do you know where that comes from? 
That's from Luke 10. So Paul calls Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Scripture, when he says the Scripture says, and he quotes Jesus, when Jesus says the laborer is worthy of his wages. So he pictures an ox that's out, you know, going around in circles, treading out the grain, separating the, the grain from the chaff or the husk. And here's the ox going around, and, and there the ox decides to stoop his head down and, and take a bite of the, of the grain. And the master says, hey, you know, that's my grain. What are you doing, ox? He slaps a muzzle on him and says, don't you dare eat any of my grain while you're working there. That would be cruel, wouldn't it? So Paul says, and Scripture says, if, if you're an ox and you're treading, you're, you're laboring and working uh, to, to prepare this grain for someone else, you ought to have the right to just bow your head down and take a bite and munch on it while you're going around in circles. I mean, if you work at Starbucks and you've got a hankering for a cup of coffee, you ought to be able to make yourself a cup of coffee while you're working there at Starbucks, right? If you pick apples at uh, Carter's Mountain and that's your job, you ought to be able to take a bite of an apple. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, do you think it's, it's oxen that God is concerned about? It's, it's people, it's pastors, it's ministers that the shepherd kind of takes his, his uh, support from the sheep. He cares for the sheep. So when you have a pastor who you know is, is laboring and toiling in the Word, then the church ought to say, you know, we really need to, to um, make sure he's provided for. And there, there was a guy in our church that was just man, serving his tail off in, in various areas and he was volu- just all volunteered. Man, I start to feel guilty. This guy is serving so hard. He needs to be compensated for that. Just doing it. So, so I think healthy churches have this mutual respect and understanding and a desire to support the, their pastors who are serving well, those that are laboring. Is that, are we clear on that? Is that good? Okay. And you, let me just say one side note. You guys have done that. Uh, it's always hard. One of the hardest things to do is to determine uh, salaries and things for staff in the church. It's really, it's not fun. Um, but we've, you know, the elders here have done that. And, and you guys have, as a, as a group uh, and individually, taken very good care of us. And I want to thank you on behalf of me and my family for doing that. And it allows me to continue to focus on what God has called me to do without worrying about where's our next meal coming from. So thank you all very much for that. So speaking continually about elders here, the second thing we see about healthy churches as we go through uh, the housekeeping things here, is that healthy churches hold their leaders graciously accountable. What do you mean by that? He says, do not receive an accusation or a complaint or a charge against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning and continue to sin, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. So Timothy is continuing to talk about the role of leadership. And and I'm going to guess that many of us uh, and many of you have been in churches where there have been some big issues that have happened in the leadership. Something wasn't handled right or something uh, went down that was really bad and and things didn't get taken care of properly. And so these things seem like housekeeping. But Satan has leaders, church leaders, in his bullseye. And so understanding and giving you all the tools to assess how this church is doing from a leadership standpoint is really important. Then you get to hold us, the leadership of the church, accountable. And there's a, there's a mutual understanding. And you have to understand this. As a, as, a, as a leader in the church, and those of us that are leaders in this fellowship, we, are, uh, we deal with a lot of people. And in the church, we deal with broken people. 
and hurting people and angry people and all kinds of people. And I probably have more conversations in an average day than many of you have all week. I talk to a lot of people. And I talk to a lot of people that are freshly wounded or in the midst of crises and all kinds of situations. And how many of you understand that sometimes people lie? And sometimes people feel hurt uh, when they're not. Or, or sometimes people are just angry and they're looking for somebody to vent on, somebody to blame. So when you hear an accusation, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, don't entertain it unless two or three people come saying the same thing. Because people, we, we deal with people. We deal with hurting people, as I said. And, and you're going to hear, you know, boy, we deal with people in the midst of a crisis and we do our best to pour out love and, and to give. And sometimes the more you give, the more people abuse you. And so that happens. And so someone, we do our best to go out of our way and we'll, go, we'll do anything we can to help people. But, but they interpret one thing as, as uh, being hurtful and then they tell everybody about it and write letters to the church and, and they're angry and... And, and so be careful with any kind of gossip. Healthy churches defend one another and defend the leadership. And you recognize what's the source of what I'm hearing, where's this coming from, and your role is when you hear, well, I, Pastor Steve did this. You say, okay, well, when you bring another person, then maybe we'll talk about it. But I usually tell people, hey, you're talking to the wrong person. You know, if, if, you're, if someone's talking to you about Pastor Steve, then you say, I think you should go talk to Pastor Steve, not me. See, that's called don't entertain an accusation. Now, if they say, well, I talked to Pastor Steve and he wouldn't listen, they say, well, bring two or three other people that feel the same way and then we'll talk about it. There's a great proverb that has saved me so many times. This is something I've been learning over the years in ministry. Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. So someone brings a story, someone brings an accusation, well, I saw this elder doing that, or that elder did this, and they said this to me, and, and you really? And you start to eat it up, you know, because those gossip is this little yummy nuggets, right? We love to eat that. I can't believe, wow, really? I, you know, I always thought that about Pastor Steve. You know, I thought he was capable of that, and you begin to entertain that, and begin to, to chew on that, and then you go and you tell someone, did you know Pastor Steve did this? And pretty soon, the whole thing's blown out of proportion because you put kindling on the fire. So be really careful because when you hear it from the first person, it seems like, wow, really? Oh, no way. And then you talk to me about it and you go, oh, I had no idea. That's a whole different story. Yeah, that's what happened. In my, and that's from my perspective what happened. And, you know, you talk to two people, you get four perspectives, right? So, but in your own life, be careful of gossip. Be, be careful of entertaining juicy stories about other people that aren't present in that conversation. The best thing you can do for each other is direct people back to the person they're talking about. You're, you're, just, you're talking to the wrong person. If you've got odds with, with that person, if you're at odds with them, then go to them, the Bible says. But if there's an issue, but see, so graciously accountable, meaning the first thing you want to do, the automatic response is to defend each other, to stick up for one another. Satan loves to divide the body of Christ against each other. Stick up, be each other's defenders and the defenders of the leadership. Now, but that doesn't mean we're above the law. Leadership, hey, we're human, right? 
the leaders in the church are still human. And just because someone has, a, has been uh, blameless for a number of years doesn't mean that they can't sin. So Paul also recognizes that sometimes there, there is an issue. So he says those that are sinning and continue to sin, sin, that needs to be addressed. Now sometimes the pastor or the elders feel like they're above the law. They can get away with things and, and do things that, that other people, you know, well, it's because I'm in this position. And I've heard churches where the pastor fell into sin and the church was afraid to rebuke him because the whole church was sort of based on his personality. And if we rebuke him, if he's got to leave, then what's going to happen to the church? That's wrong. Paul tells Timothy, uh, rebuke them in the presence of all. Now, is that all of the elders or all of the church? Don't know. I would start with rebuke in front of all the elders. Why? Why does he say to do that? Why does he say to handle this in front of everybody? Uh, at least all the elders, so that the others may learn to fear also. So that we recognize that, you know, we can't just uh, get away with anything we want to get away with. And, and, you know, we've seen the abuses, haven't we? And that's part of why people reject church. Because we see the abuses and they're handled poorly. And we've seen it over the last number of years that's been smattered all over the news. What's going on with the pedophile stuff in the Catholic church and how it was hidden and not addressed. And, and, and we see now the word of God says that that stuff needs to be addressed even among and especially among the leaders in the church. Amen? So now you guys know you can hold us accountable to handle these things. So Paul goes on, he says, I charge you, Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, this is the heavenly witnesses, that you observe these things without prejudice or without prejudging, doing nothing with partiality or favoritism. So as, as Timothy has to handle these things, as he has to handle difficult issues in the church, and we've talked about it, what makes, you know, we're, we're people. Whether you work at Food Lion or you're in the church, wherever there's people, there's problems. Amen? So there's no place that's immune from them, but God gives us godly, healthy ways to deal with our problems, to work out the issues. Rather than just, rather than vengeance, there's forgiveness. Rather than gossip, there's confrontation. Good confrontation. And so Timothy's going to have to deal with these things. And one of the problems is, and in this church, I, know, I don't know what anybody gives. I don't know what any of you put in the offering plate. Because Paul tells Timothy, deal with these things without prejudice, without prejudging, without favoritism. And sometimes in church, who gets favoritism? Those, if the pastor knows, hey, this person gives the most... I can't confront them. They might leave. And that'll hurt our budget. Or, or maybe we've been friends for a long time. Or, or maybe there's, an, you know, there's, there's some other issue and we can have prejudgments instead of handling things truthfully with integrity. And any place in the church, wherever we are dealing, wherever you're dealing, whether it's economic or racial, no favoritism. Everyone gets a fair shake, Right? If you're sinning, whether you're the biggest giver in the church or you don't give anything, it has to be addressed. Does that make sense? And always, you know, this is, don't hold the faith of our Lord with partiality. Nothing is to be done. It's, you know, Lady Justice has the blindfold over her eyes because the, the outward shouldn't affect justice being done. What a person looks like, how they dress, what color their skin is, shouldn't affect at all whether you know, how things are dealt with in the church so timothy be really careful leaders in calvary chapel we have to be careful and and individuals of of showing 
favoritism or, or being partial to one person. Uh, I had friends in Richmond when I was uh, living in Richmond. They were uh, police officers in Richmond. And they used to tell me about how there was this sort of code that, uh, and, and one guy was telling me how he would uh, drive drunk. And, and he'd get pulled over and he'd lean out the window and, and it was a, he was a cop off duty. And he's out driving drunk and he'd get caught and the guy would, you know, oh, come on, quit it, knock it off and let him go. And that's not justice, right? That's not right because that could affect somebody else. And so that's this kind of partiality thing. Well, because we're, pu- because we're buds, because we're pals, not going to deal with it. No special treatment. Uh, everything has to be dealt with equally. He says, don't lay hands on anyone hastily. That's to confer authority. Don't, you know, we're not just looking for warm bodies. And as soon as, hey, we got a need, we need a warm body, just throw someone in there. Don't, elders, church leaders, before they're given authority, need to be tested. And healthy churches let their leaders go through a time of testing before they're uh, ordained. Because how many times we've put warm bodies in places and found out it was a nightmare. Because we didn't take the time to do the homework to make sure that person was living a life of integrity. And so he says, Timothy, don't lay hands on anyone hastily to confer authority. Nor share or participate in other people's sins. Timothy, keep yourself pure. When you throw someone into a leadership position, you haven't vetted them, you haven't looked at their life, and they're involved in something, pretty soon they're asking you to cover for them. You ever had that happen? You get involved with someone and they're, in, they're involved in sin and you've become friendly with them and now they're asking you to hold this for them or cover that for them or do this and now all of a sudden you're involved because you're a nice person. And it's so easy. And here, this is for everybody. Keep yourself pure. Peter said, be holy for I am holy, God would say. And so it's wonderful that we, uh, that we enjoy singing. And it's wonderful that we enjoy doing good works. And, and James said, this is pure and undefiled religion. Visit widows and orphans in their trouble, doing good works, but also keep yourself unspotted from the world. Don't let the world uh, leave its mark on you. We're the church. We're different. We live pure lives before the Lord. At least that's our goal, right? And we, sometimes we got a little bit of stuff mixed in there. And, but we're working on that. God's purifying through his word. God's doing a work in our lives, isn't he? Is God, are you where you were two years ago? Or has God continued to peel back the layers? And you used, to, used to have no conviction about that. But all of a sudden, as you're reading the word, you go, oh man, I do that. And you become more. To be holy is to be set apart for God. To be set apart for God. So he says, Timothy, keep yourself pure. Now, uh, the next little bit some people have felt is, is in there for a strange reason. I think it's sort of parenthetical. Timothy, speaking of keeping yourself pure, which Timothy has tried to do, Paul says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, people have a heyday, a field day with that verse. See, I told you the Bible said we can drink alcohol. And some people are going to go home today. See, the pastor said I can have my alcohol. Timothy was so concerned with purity that, that even though he was sick, he was refusing to take NyQuil because there might be codeine in it. Right? I'm not going to touch it. He was so concerned 
with stumbling other people. You know, the water in those days was terrible. Like, just like it is if you travel anywhere outside of this country, you, you can't drink the water. You get sick. You, you can't even, you know, even in, in the shower, you have to kind of not let any get in your mouth because it, it'll make your stomach real sick. And you can get, you know, all kinds of nasty in Montezuma's Revenge and all that stuff when you, you know. It's, it's really uncomfortable when you travel and you drink the water. I, I traveled in Nepal with uh, Pastor Chad, and, and he warned me because he drank some watermelon juice from the street a few years before, and it made him really sick. He said, Steve, don't drink, don't drink anything you get on the street. I said, okay, you don't have to tell me twice. But he says, no longer drink only water because that's what Timothy was doing. He was only drinking water, and the water was so bad it was causing him stomach problems. And so what they often do is they mix a little bit of wine into the water to kill the bacteria, make it drinkable, potable. So he says, Timothy, it's okay if you can, and circle this, use a little wine. And, he's, and the emphasis is on a little. Somebody circle little in their Bible. It's a little wine. He already told the elders, don't be given too much wine. But this is medicinal. Which is interesting because Paul doesn't say, hey, Timothy, have the elders lay hands on you, pray for you so that you might be healed. Not that that would be a bad thing. But in this case, he says, Timothy, you might need a little bit of medicine. I don't know. Reading this passage, I think Timothy's, Timothy's got an ulcer from stress from this church. I'm not sure, but whatever it is, he's got stomach issues. And then he says he's got frequent infirmities. He's, he was sick all the time. Poor guy. So this is saying, Timothy, go ahead and, and, and have a little wine. You know, and I'm going to say that the Bible is clearly, speaks clearly against drunkenness. Matter of fact, this is not what is meant uh, by a little wine. I pulled this down off the internet. Raging airplane passenger duct taped to seat. Did anybody see that this morning on Yahoo News? The pitfalls of apparently mixing alcohol and air travel were taken to a new level when an evidently intoxicated, evidently intoxicated man, it says later on that he drank all of the duty-free alcohol on the plane, so evidently he was intoxicated. Do we need a breathalyzer for him or what? I mean, he was constrained to his seat with duct tape on an international flight. Iceland Air said the man went on a rampage on a New Year's Eve flight from Reykjavik to New York, hitting, screaming at, and spitting on other passengers. So I like this. The passengers took matters into their own hands, taping the man to his seat. <laughs> they had a picture on the internet of this guy duct taped to his seat. Now that's using a lot of wine. And that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about, you know, just a little bit of grace and a medicinal use. So that's sort of a parenthetical, encouraging this young guy because he's so concerned with purity. Timothy, it's okay. It's okay to do that. You can use your NyQuil if you need to sleep. Now, if, if alcohol is an issue for you, be really careful. Don't use this as an excuse to say, well, you know, maybe, maybe you need to abstain. Maybe you need to not have any alcohol because you don't have an off button. And once you take, I don't have an off button with cookies. So I can't eat just, I can't use a few cookies to make me feel better if I need comfort food because there's no such thing for me as a few cookies. I got to eat them all and then shake the kids down if they got any hidden. Come on, give them up. You know, where's the line? You know, can I have a six-pack? Can I have a 12-pack? You know, and, and we want to just skirt that line so close between, well, what is drunk? You know, is, is a buzz drunk? And oh, Look, if that's your question that you're asking, then don't have any. Then don't have any. It's better just to stay away for you. 
but for Timothy, he was already given to purity. I just don't want to have someone come back and say, Pastor Steve said, see, then you've got to not receive an accusation against an elder. Pastor Steve said, we could all drink. No, no, that's not what he's saying. Let's go on. Some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So I think what he's saying is, Timothy, as we're talking about elders, as we're talking about um, not laying hands quickly, do your homework, because what you see is not always what you get. There are some people whose lives look so good on the outside, their, their sins are not clearly evident. That's what he says. Some people's sins are clearly evident, but others are good at hiding them. So you have to, to have a time of testing. You have to do your homework, Timothy, before you appoint and go laying hands on everybody to lead everything in, in your church. Because in the same way, there are some people sitting right here among us that you have no idea the areas that they serve in. That some of us, you know what we do. I mean, I'm, I kind of talk a lot about you know, things that I'm involved in because I sit here and I talk about the soup kitchen and things that, that I'm into. So you know my, the things I, I do are clearly evident. But some of you guys are such silent servants. And you have ministries that nobody else in this church knows about. I was talking to someone this morning about a, a funeral he just attended for a woman that uh, a lot of the things she did, no one knew about till her funeral. So they met people at the funeral and go, wow, we didn't even know she did that. And for some of us, like, it's great to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, not to be, you know, out there blabbing around, tooting your own horn about all the good things you do. It'll, be, it'll get known. Just go out and, and just do the thing you're called to do. Amen? Just get about it. And then, so as Timothy begins to investigate these things, he'll see what's what. Now, we go into chapter 6. We're just going to do verses 1 and 2 as we continue to talk about, you know, honoring widows, double honor for elders. We deal with uh, people, the, the next habit of healthy churches is they're filled with people who understand that they represent God always. Let me say that one more time. Healthy churches are filled with people who understand that they represent God always. Let's read it. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Let as many bond servants or slaves as are under the yoke count their own masters, and that would be unbelieving masters, worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. There are those employees, there, and, and in, in their culture, there were those people that were slaves, and they were under the yoke. They, man, they were serving a hard master, and he wasn't a Christian, and he was hard on them, and, and it's real tempting to... Uh, to, to really talk bad about your employer or to really uh, slack off or whatever you might do uh, it, because, oh, he's not a believer. Who cares? He's, a, he's wicked. He's mean. Uh, I hate working for him. He says, remember, the way, you, the way you work is the way you worship. Your work, wherever you're working today, that job you hate, that job you can't stand, going there and working hard is worship. And he says, do that. When you go there and you're not working, just when the boss looks, then you get busy. And then when he looks away, you go back to, you know, you're on Facebook again or doing tweeting this or Twittering that or whatever. And then as soon as he comes back in the room, you, you know, okay, I got to get back to my work. And, you know, be a hard worker. Uh, and the gospel, you can preach the gospel to your unsaved boss by working hard. 
Because so many people, the only thing they're going to have to judge our God on is you. So if you compartmentalize your life, if you figure, well, I'm in church, but then when I go out, when I'm at work, that's my time. I'm going to do what I need to do at work. That God doesn't come into my workplace. That's the wrong attitude. Because if you call your, then don't call yourself Christian. Because the problem is, is in exercising your freedom to be a jerk back to your jerky boss, he makes now a judgment about the God who you claim to serve. And he won't step into church because of what he feels about God that he's learned from you. Do you understand that? So we have to be really careful with this idea that somehow our life has these compartments, that I have my work life, I have my church life, I go Sunday and that's church, and then I go to work Monday and that's a different story, and then I have my family life and that's a different story. It is all worship. And, and poor God. I mean, he, he could have done it all by himself, right? But he says, I'm going to put my treasure in earthen vessels. I'm going to choose to use people for my work. What a risk, huh? To use us, to use me. So Paul reminds us, be careful because the name of God, the character of God, a person's name, their reputation is valuable. You know, the third commandment, I believe it's the third commandment, is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain or for emptiness. In vain means to be empty. Don't take, you know, when, when I got married, my wife took my name. She became Fedden. Poor thing. You know, it's a tough name. Nobody knows how to feed and fade and fodden. You know, it's a tough name to have. But anyway, she took it because we had joined our lives together. We were one. And therefore, you know, she uh, represents our family. Now imagine if we had gotten married. And, and she took my name and then she went off and pretended and, that she was never married and just lived like er, however she wanted to live as if she didn't even know me. That would have been taking my name in vain. Then, then why get married if you're going to go after and just live as single again? Do you see that? Why, why call yourself Christian if you're going to live however you want all the time? Because what happens is because you take that, you've taken the name of Christ and now you, people see us as representing him so paul says be really careful at work and then verse two another side of this problem is those who have believing masters so that think that'd be a wonderful thing have a believing master let them not despise or be disrespectful to their believing masters because they're brethren but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved teach and exhort these things and so i'm obeying that i'm teaching and exhorting these things if you've got a believing boss If you work, some of you have worked for one another in this fellowship. You can't slack off. Say, well, he's a believer. He can't fire me. That wouldn't be right. So you can slack off or you can be disrespectful because you have a relationship in church. And now you're on the workplace and he's your boss. But but here, you're an elder in the church, but you're his employee on the job. And so you can, it can get real confusing. And you can begin to have a bad attitude towards your believing boss uh, because you take the grace for granted. Say, well, he, we're, we're both in the same church. I can get away with this, or he's going to give me some special favors. Or He says, if your boss is a believer, you still ought to work hard so that he can prosper in his business. You want to do well so that his business does well. Why? Because he's a believer, and he's beloved. So housekeeping stuff, I know. Not the most exciting information, but hopefully uh, useful and uh, very important for us. So I'm going to invite... Um, 
let's do this. We're going to share communion. So uh, Phil would come up, and, and I don't know if the praise team is coming up. And the folks that are, do we have communion ready for today? Yes? Yes. Okay, there it is. If you guys would go ahead and, and start passing out the communion. Uh, Phil's going to play some music. Um, the communion is going to be passed out now as, as there's a lot of people moving around. Let me just have your attention here. When you, get, when you receive the elements, you're going to receive a little cup of grape juice and a little piece of matzah. Those are representative to us in the body of Christ of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Hold on to them. We'll partake together. We'll sing. We'll partake of the, the body or the, the bread. And then we'll sing and we'll partake of the cup. Uh, some of you may be visiting today. Uh, I know of at least a couple folks that are maybe here for the first time. Uh, communion is something we do as a family. It's a commemorative meal, like our Thanksgiving. When we get together for Thanksgiving, we remember something that happened years ago in our country. And it re- the meal is meant to remind us of the blessing of God at that point. Well, this meal... And it's a representative meal, obviously, where nobody's going to leave here going, oh, I'm stuffed, you know. We do that Wednesday night. But this meal is just a little reminder of a big gift. And so if, you, if you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never opened your heart and invited him to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never asked him and begged him to forgive your sins, if you've never cried out to him for salvation, then this meal, this representative meal won't mean anything to you. Because we do it in remembering back to what he did for us on the cross. What he gave. That God loved me and gave his son for me. While I was still a sinner. If you haven't had that experience, then you've got two choices this morning. Number one, you can just let the elements pass by if you're not ready to do that. You know, nobody's going to look cross-eyed at you. Nobody's going to condemn you. Then you're free to just observe and watch as we enjoy this thing we call the Lord's Supper. But if you do want to accept Jesus as your Lord, if, if somehow the Lord is doing a work in your heart, then we want to invite you that there's nothing that stands between you and God except for your own pride except for your own unwillingness to receive. And this meal is coming around, and it is God's invitation to know Him, to be blessed by Him, to participate in what He provides for your life. So if, if, if that's you and you want to partake of that, then please take it and enjoy it and, and eat it up.